Jason Lewis. And I'm Flora Gladwin. And I'm Thomas Mills. Welcome to Climate Optimists. As a couple concerned citizens, we're on a journey to explore climate solutions and ways each of us can make a difference. And as a nonprofit focused on educating and empowering people to get involved in climate action, we rely on the financial support of our listeners. So if you're a regu- regular listener and you value what you get from us, consider a donation that aligns with that value. Donating is easy. Just head over to our website, climateoptimist.co, and click the donate button. If you're not ready to take the step to becoming a donor, but want to help us out, tell your friends, your mom, your boss, your coworker, your dog about us and rate us on your streaming platform. I like it, Flora. Yeah, the more we spread the word, the the bigger the impact we have from a climate perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, it's no secret to anybody that uh, we have a massive plastic pollution problem. You know, sadly, you can find it almost anywhere, whether you're looking around, you know, the roads you drive to beaches to, you know, even the forest floor. And in a way, it's almost becoming a calling card for human activity. You know, wherever we go, we leave behind plastic. It turns out that in addition to the pollution problem, plastics are also a major source of global greenhouse gas emissions. And these emissions are only set to grow as plastic production ramps up. So today, we're going to dive into the world of petroleum-based plastics, the negative impacts they have on our climate and environment, and of course, what solutions we have to deal with it. But before we get into today's guest, uh, let's talk about this week's Reason for Hope. Yeah, this was a really interesting one um, because it's super topically relevant for me. I'm actually calling in from the Canary Islands, which are owned by Spain, and this week is about Spain's energy minister as well as the head of the International Energy Agency, throwing in their support behind a Dutch call to phase out fossil fuel subsidies, which is a massive deal. The Dutch climate minister is working to set up an international coalition focused on the cause, and this is happening as nations prepare for the 28th UN Global Climate Summit, called COP28, that will be held in Abu Dhabi in November. I I think it's great news. It may not seem like much, but you... You know, you've got the Dutch trying to lead something and with Spain and the, you know, International Energy Agency piling on. Hopefully this can build some more momentum. Yeah, I, I think right now where we're looking at about half a trillion dollars a year in direct subsidies, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And it's the indirect cost that we really need to start holding these organizations accountable for. And hopefully those court cases that uh, were recently rolled out in California can get the ball rolling in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy with the, even just the direct subsidies. Thinking about the fact that basically our tax dollars are funding oil companies continuing to you know pull more of this stuff out of the ground and burn it. So seems like low hanging fruit to me. Yeah, and with the indirect cost, those estimates are around five trillion dollars a year, but. I, I suspect they're totally underestimated. I mean, I think to myself, what would it take to refreeze the ice in the Antarctic, right? And I feel that the economists are not taking that into account and the true cost of this environmental destruction. Yeah, I think we're only starting to understand how expensive climate change is going to be, especially if we don't mm-hmm. you know, turn the ship hard. Well, our, our guest today to talk about plastics is Reagan Kelly. Uh, Reagan is the head of product and sustainability, as well as a founding member of the company Better for All. As a green living and bioplastics expert, she's spent years working with bipolymer engineers and manufacturers to create 
unique home compostable and reusable line of cups that acts as an alternative to traditional, you know, single-use cups. And prior to Better For All, she worked with Warner Bros. Records, LACMA, Otis College of Design, Disney's Epcot Center, and more as a sole proprietor. She has 30 years of experience in key creative positions, both hands-on and managerial. At USC Annenberg, Kelly built Vectors, an online interactive journal that included the design, programming, and implementation of interactive data-driven interfaces for scholars and scientists. Reagan, welcome to Climate Optimus. Thank you. So to start you off, when it uh, comes to efforts to address climate change, what makes you hopeful? Yeah, actually, uh, right now I'm feeling quite hopeful. been watching the Climate Week protests. Um, I was thrilled at the number of people that came out in the streets. And also just in general, the level of conversation and sort of learned conversation in public media about what we need to do, what's happening, what the problems are. I really feel hopeful actually this week about um, just the level of awareness seems to be growing by leaps and bounds. Yeah, I'm with you on the on the media side. It seems like you're getting better and better about drawing the linkages and having that dialogue and in a way that obviously helps everybody else who still isn't super familiar with how these things all, you know, link together. Yeah. Well, let's get into the the topic at hand here. So how much of to give people a sense, just kind of how much of global carbon emissions can we really attribute to plastics? And then in addition to that, how how is that kind of forecast to, to change? Right. So according to a number of estimates, um, plastics are currently responsible for approximately 4.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions. You know, by everyone's admission, they aren't really accounting for what's happening when plastic is left in the environment. Um, nor can we accurately right. measure what's happening, how much plastic is being burned or incinerated, especially in an open pit type of scenario. So I, I believe that the, that emissions estimation is low, but 4.5% of global greenhouse gas emissions today. And if we keep on track the way we're going, it will double by 2050, both our uh, creation of plastics and also the emissions associated with them. So close to 10% by 2050 and closer to 15% by 2100. Wow. And so as far as those, those emissions, to your point, it sounds like that's really just on the, on the front end and there's stuff on the back end that's happening that we don't necessarily, you know, have a, have a great sense of. Yeah. I would say that, you know, one thing that you have remarked upon and also, I see more and more is that the petroleum industry, I, I heard yesterday um, on a podcast that there are structural de declines happening for petroleum around the world, which is great because we are shifting more and more on a global basis away from petroleum as a energy resource. Um, so what's happening is these same businesses are forecasting more and more heavily into plastics and uh, the Center for International Environmental Law projects that 20% of oil consumption will be for plastics use by 2050. That's massive. Well, you know, I think people are obviously aware of sort of plastics pollution maybe generally, but 
wondering if you can talk about, in addition to obviously the negative impact of plastics on carbon emissions, what other sort of detrimental impacts do fossil fuel-based plastics have on our, our environment? I mean, I think most people are aware. <laughs> I mean, you just walk down the street and you can see plastic pollution everywhere, right? <laughs> right. Um, even if you're trying really, really hard not to bring them into your home, it's literally impossible. But globally, plastics recycling is between 9 and 16% globally, uh, annually. And so that means to me, 85 to 90% of plastic produced is either going to landfill, being burned, or ending up in the environment, which is huge. Um, so if you burn plastic, even if you burn it in a control, like they call it, you know, capturing energy, you still produce toxic ash. If you burn it in an open pit, it produces black carbon, which is a serious lung damaging pollutant and also 5,000 times more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Um, wow. And then in the ocean, plastic is a, is a massive problem. I don't think we've even begun to understand the extent of it. However, I think we know we're finding microplastics in the Mariana Trench, in Arctic snow, in breast milk, in our blood. From just a climate perspective, Microplastics are interfering with the way marine microorganisms absorb carbon dioxide and emit oxygen. And the ocean is the source of 50% of the world's oxygen. So, you know, if I look at this through any lens, <laughs> I just, we have to stop producing petroleum plastic. It's just a massive, massive problem. So you touched on a couple of things there. Well, and it sounds like it isn't, you know, I, I'm sure pic people have all seen pictures of sort of plastic pollution floating in the in the ocean, but it's also this breakdown that's taking place and all these smaller and smaller pieces of plastic that, you know, to your point, are finding their way into all sorts of things and places that we maybe never anticipated that they that they would have. Right. Yes. And um, yeah, for me also like toxins, I don't know if I mentioned toxins, but there are a number of toxic chemicals associated with petroleum plastic production, you know, and those also get released over time when plastics end up in the environment. They also get released when you burn plastic. I was just reading a study. The EPA is closing research that they've been doing on PET, which is right now considered kind of the standard for how we drink water, right? I mean, kind of amazes me in 30 years, we've decided that drinking water out of little plastic bottles is how we consume water, right? Um, that was not true right. when I was growing up. <laughs> I'd never seen one before. And I was, I was always, my thirst was always slaked. But anyway, PET uh, water bottles, um, when they're produced, emit a chemical called 1,4-dioxane. And um, even though the EPA has not come down on determining whether these are, this is a chemical that gets released into water as it sits in a water bottle, it is released as they make the PET bottles and as they process the PET. So they're releasing a study that basically says that anyone who works in a PET plant needs to have full body protection, local soil, drinking water, and communities are at risk. So yeah, toxins are another thing that I think is a huge issue that we need to look at really closely when it comes to plastics production. And so this is stuff that 
that's out there now and problematic? Is there potential for it to be, you know, regulated more in the future, or are they just saying that people need to be aware that it's a sort of a reality? Yeah. So this is really falling down on the side of local communities, like communities adjacent to these uh, petroleum refineries and also people who work in these facilities. I hope that what it leads to is, you know, a, a search for and acceptance of other means by which to deliver these products, right? right. We need, we need to adjust just the way we've seen renewable energy or electrification of our vehicles and fleets. We need to start looking at seriously looking at other materials. Right now, it feels like we just hit every nail with the same hammer, which is a petroleum hammer. Um, and we really, we need to diversify. Agreed. Well, and wondering just for context, you have all this plastic production. It's obviously flowing into packaging for the food that we eat, the water we drink. Can you give a sense of kind of like where plastics are sort of consumed in our economy? Like what are the big categories? Yeah. So by far the largest category of plastics consumption is uh, packaging. It's, uh, I think, approximately 115 million metric tons in like 2017, which I don't know. These numbers are always so big and crazy. <laughs> I don't even know if, right. if you can conceive of that, right? <laughs> but, um, but it's twice as much as the plastic we use for a building um, and construction. And we use a ton of plastic for building and construction, right? So transport um, was third. So packaging is the big issue and packaging, of course, is the issue that we can see because packaging is often lightweight for good reasons and sure. it's difficult to recycle, it's diff difficult to sort, it's difficult to process, and it's very easily escapes into the environment. So. so what's sort of the relationship between big oil and, and the plastic producers? Obviously, big oil is looking to continue to cement its, you know, demand for its product. And as we start to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels for energy, sounds like plastics might be a pivot, but what, what are kind of the relationships there? Well, so plastic, most plastic that we use today is made from petroleum byproducts. So um, both natural gas, so fracking and drilling produce the building blocks of plastics. Um, you can crack, I mean, there's all these cool words, right? <laughs> you can crack petroleum and, and natural liquid gas and make the building blocks of the plastics we use today, ethane being a big one. But a lot of the, the manufacturing plants along the coasts of Texas and Louisiana create these, these little plastic building blocks that we then sh either ship or consume on site in our manufacturing plants. What petroleum has been doing. They've been reading the tea leaves and also they were, as you well, as you know, well aware that climate change or, cl or global warming was happening because of petroleum consumption. So they predicted that they would need to uh, pivot and so put about $200 billion into plastics manufacturing infrastructure in the last 10 years. Um, wow. And they're planning, if you look at their business plans, they're planning on growing, doubling and doubling again. It looks like a hockey stick when you look at the amount of plastic they're planning on putting into the environment, into the world. So yeah, they're definitely pivoting to plastics. And it's critical that when you see a new pipeline or a new, uh, yeah, like liquid natural gas pipeline or drilling project that you think plastic 
um, when it comes to considering whether you should write to your Congress people. <laughs> it's plastic that they're thinking about. Yeah. Right. Well, disturbing considering it's already causing us, you know, problems in all these different spaces. And it sounds like, you know, we don't even fully understand the extent of the the damage it might be causing. Well, let's let's hop into maybe solutions. What solutions are out there for reducing kind of our, our dependence on fossil fuel-based plastics? So actually, there's a, a lot of solutions, and a number of them have been around for almost as long as petroleum-based plastics. PLA is probably the one that most people are aware of. That was Cargill, and they, um, they took a bet and developed PLA, polylactic acid, which is a corn-based bioplastic. It's compostable. It's hard to compost in many applications, so it suffered a bit of a backlash, but PLA is here to stay. It's at scale. It's being used in combination with other bioplastics to make things like coffee pods, and my favorite application is 3D printing resin. You're also seeing PLA now being recycled into uh, green cleaning products and things like that. I'm working with a PHA, which would be considered, I guess, a second generation biopolymer. It's made by fermenting seed oils. You can filter the ferment for this byproduct that's created by the microorganisms in the ferment. It's like looking at beer fermenting. Um, The microorganisms make this package, the seed oils, after processing them into this nutrient. It's a bit like body fat. And um, if you filter that out of the ferment, you can use it to make plastics. So PHAs are much more compostable. So we consider PHAs to be a good application for things that aren't meant to be around for 100 years. I think the debate around plastic tends to fall down around like plastic is so useful. We're never getting rid of it. And I would say there are so many businesses built on having access to plastic, say, packaging or containers, et cetera. I completely understand. But we don't need to take something that's 100 million years old out of the center of the earth and turn it into something that's going to be used for, you know, 15 minutes or a year. Um, We need to find the right materials for the application. So... PHA is a material that can be consumed by microorganisms. If you make the the containers correctly, they can be consumed in your home compost pile. They're non-toxic. I am really excited about the people working in seaweed. Um, There's several women-led companies that are developing materials out of seaweed. I think it's a really interesting application for thin film. And if it gets in the ocean, it won't you know, hopefully like it's, it hasn't scaled up yet, but hopefully it won't damage marine life because that really worries me. If you've True. ever seen, have you ever seen a, a whale feed? Um, when you see a whale feed, you really understand why plastic in the ocean is terrible for whales. So, I mean, they just open their mouths and everything flows in. Right. So, um, so seaweed is exciting. So it sounds like there's a lot of potential in terms of these bio-based feedstocks, which then gets rid of the the issue of, you know, kind of carbon emissions created on the front end. And then it sounds like you're talking about them being compostable. Can we then infer that that makes them not a problem on, on the back end? In other words, if they end up out sort of in the environment discarded, that, that they'll eventually break down? 
Yeah. So I would say two things in response to your statement. Uh, one is like nothing produces no carbon emissions. <laughs> so like everything we do, right, including me sitting here talking to you is producing carbon emissions. Um, anything we make is going to have an impact. So the way I look at it is how do we minimize the impact, the negative impact, and how do we make sure that we're getting the value out of whatever it is that we're making so that it can, I don't know, justify it. Um, we emit carbon when we make any of the materials that we're doing on the bio side. Um, if you look at LCAs, for the most part, it's either on par or less than um, carbon that's emitted you know, using natural gas or petroleum. LCAs but being? LC, I'm sorry, life cycle and assessments. I mean, these are, these are not quite accurate yet because you have really mature supply chains in place for petroleum and you have brand new baby fledgling supply chains in place for bioplastics. But if you use compostable products, I'm just going to go with compostable because that's what I know, right? So I, I make cups out of a home compostable bioplastic. If you compost, then the composting material, just like your food waste or your yard trimmings, break down and they emit carbon dioxide and sometimes methane as you turn over the compost and it's so forth, right. right? And then if you send organics, for example, food, yard waste and compostable product to landfill, then they slowly break down and emit greenhouse gases for sure. Um, one reason that we're going for compostable is twofold, uh, I guess two reasons. <laughs> it, one is that um, I believe that we need organics recycling infrastructure in the United States. Uh, we need it everywhere. But 40% of what goes to landfill today is organics. And so it's all sitting there putrefying and emitting greenhouse gases. It's also not being properly recycled. If we did compost that material, you would end up with greens to, to use as soil amendment, et cetera. Another big use of petroleum is fertilizer. So I would prefer that we would be using our own green waste to make soil amendments, landscape, uh, structural supports, et cetera, out of our organics material. And cups, food containers, napkins, all of these things are soiled with food when you're done with them. And it's one reason that recyclers say it's hard, it's difficult to recycle food adjacent packaging. Um, so we believe that if you put compostables in with your food waste and it all became a single organics recycling stream, that that would be a really excellent way to start diverting pretty significant portion of our landfill away from landfill. So just kind of breaking that down, it sounds like, you know, obviously everything to your point has a carbon footprint at this point because our energy systems are still reliant on petroleum. If we, you know, move away from that, hopefully quickly for all our sakes, then the sort of the carbon burden of these bioplastics becomes less in comparison to if we're just extracting oil out of the ground. It sounds like maybe even the bigger benefit though is sort of the back end and being able to have something that is that will break down in the environment as opposed to creating pollution and that 
not only does it break down, but then it creates a potentially beneficial waste stream that you know that could be used to potentially offset something like our our fertilizer use, which you know folks may not appreciate how much fertilizer we use, but it's but it's massive. Yep, it is massive. So that's all beneficial. I'm wondering, you know, there's probably some folks saying, well, hey, what what about how do we use less plastics, you know, altogether, or how do we move to you know, reusable containers instead of this idea of single use. I wonder if you can kind of speak to where things are, you know, what kind of innovations are out there and and if bioplastics fit into that equation. Yeah. So yes, I'm all about reusable systems. I think that that is an amazing direction to go in. It's also super, super baby steps at this point. I mean, there's a number of pilots, but no one's managed to really scale it up. I do see more and more adoption at the event space level, which I think is really cool. But I would say that having actually spoken to people who are implementing reusable systems, you don't get thousands of use out of each of their containers. You get maybe five. And so okay. I say, let's go with a bioplastic container <laughs> or an aluminum container or something that is either infinitely recyclable or compostable and non-toxic because, um, which, so another reason we went with PHA is PHA is high heat tolerant, so you can dishwash it. But yeah, those reusable systems are complex, right? So it depends on where you are. Okay. And so then I think we need solutions for now. Like what's, what's going to be a solution for now as we work towards more optimal solutions, right? And so if you're in a say stadium or you're at a festival, and you're drinking, you know, they don't let you bring anything in. You're right. They give you a cup at the door, you refill it throughout the festival, and then you discard it. I just want that cup to be as least harm as possible. So hence I see bioplastics fitting in there, especially compostable bioplastics, like highly compostable bioplastics. And so what kind of potential do you see for, you know, recycling packaging or or what might it look like in the future if we were sort of to do this well where we're reusing more of our plastics yeah i mean so i think there's like two models that that are being debated right now so there's the model where you go somewhere and they provide you with a container and then you bring the container back and there's the model where you have the container you own it you buy it once right and then you bring it back and refill it and it's yours so you're responsible or the entity is responsible. It's tough because like what people say who have a hard time with the personal owning is they always forget it, right? I mean, maybe they have their reusable right. bag, but they forget it or, and storage, right? Like not everybody lives in a huge house and has endless and infinite uh, counter space or whatever for storing these things. So I think probably both systems will have to be impl implemented. I also um, think that we probably aren't going to recognize the systems that we come up with. I don't know. Like it's going to be sci-fi. We're going to have to like really go sci-fi <laughs> to solve this problem, right? All these like appendages that we have to manage, it just feels really cumbersome. It sounds like reimagining these systems is super complicated. We don't necessarily know what the future is going to look like. Um, but if we were to sort of, if we were to sum it up in kind of principles, it sounds like being able to reduce the amount of packaging used, being able to have a package that can be reused more than once, and then maybe third, 
when it does get to end of life, having something where it can be recycled or it turns into something else that's valuable, like it's composted and then becomes a soil amendment. Is that those kind of three things yeah. that would be all right? Well, what do we need to make all this happen? <laughs> so, what uh, <laughs> what kind of you know legislative solutions, you know, incentives? What needs to happen to help accelerate our our path down? Um, or a path away from fossil fuel-based plastics into plastics that are more reusable? Right. So I would say that I'm. Uh, we need some brands to take a big swing, right? There's some big brands out there that are that have been doing f- like pilots for a long time. They'll launch, you know, they'll put out a press release, the plant-based bottle, you know, and then 10 years later, nothing came of it. I would also say, we have not talked about this, but, you know, PHBH, the material I work with, and all of the materials that we work with are more expensive than petroleum-based materials. Petroleum has, I just read, like a $20 billion a year direct subsidy from the U.S. government just in the U.S. That's our tax wow. dollars, right? Giving them a massive discount. And that discount ends up, you know, showing up at the pump, but it also shows up in the form of packaging. So all of the packaging that I'm competing with is heavily subsidized by U.S. taxpayer dollars. When I think about these things, I think you, you need to write to your congressman, you need to call, you need to demand because it actually does have an impact. There are a number of, of like pipeline projects, et cetera, right at the White House right now, right? You saw Willow went through. Um, Anwar just got shut down. They got 5 million petition signatures and they got a million letters from young agitated uh, voters in the last year. And that affected Biden's decision about Anwar, which is, you know, it's huge. That's huge for our kids' futures. That's huge. So I would say for me, that's like one big one is be heard, make yourself heard be annoying um, <laughs> and push your local purveyors. Like if you have someplace you love to go, but you don't go because you think, Oh no, they're going to give me a plastic cup. Let them know, like tell them. So it sounds like beating the political drum is our opportunity for big change. And, and, you know, we always support that. And, and it sounds like you're advocating, like let's help prevent additional fossil fuel infrastructure. It sounds like we could all be advocating for removing the fossil fuel subsidies. And then, you know, maybe on top of that, even advocating for a price on carbon, right? Which would help. It sounds like I'm guessing would level the playing field a little bit for, for bioplastics. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say one more thing. I think we all feel really super happy when we see paper because it, you can just see that paper is natural. It's fiber based. It's going to break down really fast. If you put it out in the environment, if it's not coated with plastic, I feel really worried when I see paper being the only solution to everything um, because we need trees like really badly. And it's shocking how much paper is being consumed as like paper towels and like just weird things. (laughs) I just don't want to take a tree and turn it into a paper towel. So I just feel like we need to, we need to have, I'm just going to say it. We need a diverse resource base for everything we do as human beings. Like we can't just hit one resource again and again and again. Indeed. And it sounds like obviously a complicated problem. So yeah, so thanks for coming on and sharing with us. Thanks for the encouragement, you know, to go out and contact our our representatives um, and try to, you know, start making the shift on, on plastics. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 
Well, I, I definitely learned a lot from the discussion with Reagan. Unfortunately, I think plastics problem is, is maybe worse than I understood it to be. But I think the first thing that jumped to my mind in, in this discussion is you know, where we all started out years ago learning about reduce, reuse, recycle. And I think it's worth calling out that while you know, some of us, and especially in places like Oregon where we got robust recycling programs, tend to focus on the recycling, it's really about reducing first, right? Reducing the amount of plastic that we're using and ensuring that wherever it's used, we're only using kind of for high value applications. Then, you know, when we do have plastic, we use reusing it and then really saving recycling for last. It's not to say that it doesn't provide value, but, you know, those other two are the much more important levers to pull first. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Reagan kind of spoke a little bit to that during the interview, when she kind of talked about the fact that even if we were to convert over to more organic based plastics, um, we kind of need the infrastructure to support that in terms of real uh, larger scale composting. I know in Portland, you know, we have a composting system that works throughout the city, but I feel like that's something that's going to need to be implemented everywhere uh, just to have a really more standardized organics recycling. And one of the examples that I kept thinking of as I was listening to this episode was this fun fact. I don't know how fun it is uh, that it can take up to 25 years for a head of lettuce to decompose in a landfill. And, you know, that's about as organic as organic material can get, right? It's practically water (laughs) and little else. So, And I, I think it's important to remember that Plastics were originally introduced as a durable good replacement for things like ivory and other hard non-metallic um, substances. So it's only been in recent years. In fact, it goes back to the well, the 1950s when uh, the head of modern the modern plastics magazine, Lloyd Schaufer, said the future of plastics is in the trash can. And from that point onwards, the plastic industry realized that, well, look, what's the point in selling you a durable good when I can send you, sell you something that you throw out every day and have to buy a replacement for? So I think it's just about changing mindsets and realizing that there was a time um, when we didn't you know, just throw plastics out after a single use. Oh, yeah. I, I feel like that's such an interesting point. And I, I was reading about it a little bit, too really shocking. There was a huge amount of money funneled into presenting plastics as a recyclable material. And the companies that were backing these advertisements are, you know, what you would expect, you know, Chevron, Exxon, DuPont. Yeah. Yeah. But in reality, though, the the means and methodologies didn't really exist to recycle those single-use plastics over and over again. And I was just looking at the Coca-Cola website recently and they were claiming that 90% of their plastics can be recycled. And it's like, well, that's great, can be. But in most places, that infrastructure is just not in place to make that a possibility. Yeah. And even if it was, it's so much more expensive for those companies to do that. It's so cheap to produce plastic. I mean, Yeah. yeah. Because they're not paying the full cost of it, right? They're not paying for the environmental impacts or the cost of disposing those goods. And, and you know, when we talk about disposal too, in many places, that is massively subsidized. Like I look at the cost of disposing. I could literally drive to the rubbish dump today with an entire ton of plastic on a vehicle and dispose it for $20, which is like, 
I don't know, 12 US dollars. Ridiculous, right? That's not putting a true cost on the cost of plastic pollution. Well, and I think that's where the model's fundamentally broken, right? If if these manufacturers of plastics or you know the manufacturers that are using the plastics had to pay for those end-of-life costs, the true end-of-life costs, all of a sudden, A, it would incentivize them to, you know, use more recycled plastics, but B, all of a sudden, you know, other options that are much better for the environment could float to the top. And mm -hmm. the idea of reusable containers make more sense, right? And so, yeah, because we have this model that is skewed and allows for the perception that it's cheap just to, you know, produce new and throw it away, it's going to continue to, to reinforce the behavior that we have. Which is really important why we need to bring in not just state level, but I think federal level bans on, on plastics so that there's a little bit of um, consistency state to state. I take that case where um, a sur survey in Australia recently showed that uh, almost 80% of people wanted bans on single-use plastics. Meanwhile, you know, some states in Australia have banned most single-use plastics, but I take Tasmania, who were a leader back in, I think it was 2003, when a little town called Coles Bay banned shopping bags. That was one of the first places in the world to do that at the time. That then rolled out wow. nationally, but since then, you know, Tasmania's done very little because We've had a conservative government in place that's really not interested in putting any additional costs on on businesses, which they aren't. Like once everybody's operating on a level playing mm -hmm. field, everyone's equal. And I think that's why the people want it. But the lobbying power of these businesses who have short-term interests at, at heart and also of the oil industry have stopped this from happening at a federal level. Yeah, I, it gets back to what we, you know, we're talking about in today's reason for hope, right? The, you know, we're subsidizing fossil fuels and in turn plastics with our own money. Yeah, I think a single use plastic ban, you know, Europe's done it, the UK just did it, you know, the US and Australia and others need to hop on board. And then in addition to that, let's pull the rug out on subsidies. It's just ludicrous mm -hmm. to me that we continue to spend money that's basically fueling catastrophic climate change. Yeah. And I think something we also need to look at too is the standardization of containers in general, right? So, you know, I've spoken about this mm. on, in past on the podcast where you can go to a vending machine in Europe and you can get a plastic bottle of apple juice out of it that might have been through the system dozens of times, right? And it's just washed. It's not recycled. So the polymers aren't breaking down or what have you. They're just rinsed put back into the supply chain again. And I, I think that we need to look at that for other food products as well. That's a great point too. I, I feel like that's going to be interesting too as we work towards you know, a climate solution here because I think you're right. The solution isn't get rid of all the plastic, implement something new. It's how do we also incorporate you know, the stuff that's already here into a, a circular system. And I think at the end of the day, most of those reusable type scenarios end up resulting in less energy consumption. And I haven't done the hard numbers on it, but we have this breakdown between the cost of you know, rolling these products out and you know, the, the rinsing and washing and recycling or whatever it might be at the other end. And we need to just look at it from a holistic approach and get an entire system together so that it just flows properly. Yeah. So I guess in summary, you know, Legislatively, we need we certainly need more single-use plastic bans. We need to end mm -hmm. subsidies. We need to price carbon, which also helps correct our plastics problem from an economics perspective. And then hopefully that drives, Thomas, to your point, 
solutions where we're using more and more reusable containers. Because if a plastic container gets used, you know, even four or five times, right, that's that's massively cutting down the amount of energy and, and resources needed on the front end. Yeah, and that brings us really nicely, actually, into our calls to action for this week, with option number one being to tell your representative to put a price on carbon, which helps both to drive down carbon emissions and also to reduce the demand for petroleum-based plastics. So, you know, make sure to go to our website. We'll have talking points in the show notes. Um, but seriously, taking a little bit of time to do that is so, so immensely valuable, and perhaps even more so than doing some of the things that we hope that you already do, like bringing a reusable cup to Starbucks or, you know, using a reusable tote bag when you go to the grocery store. Yeah, I think many of our listeners are probably already responsible in that area. And so these additional actions are really huge value adds that you can add on, right? If you've got that extra couple minutes, call your representative, tell them to put a price on carbon. And then the other thing that's it's a great option in line with our discussion today is we want to encourage folks to, to tell Biden to end fossil fuel subsidies. We'll have a link in our show notes to basically send him an email. But but yeah, this is low-hanging fruit. There's plenty of public support for it, especially given the record oil profits you know, in the last year. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Uh, thanks to everybody, as always, for tuning in. If you haven't yet, take a moment to sign up for our monthly newsletter. It's full of good facts related to climate solutions has plenty of action opportunities. And if you've been meaning to sign up, stop listening to me and go to our website right now and, and subscribe. Climate Optimus is made possible by Climate Stewards Collective. You can find us on the web at climateoptimist.co. And don't forget to follow us on social at Climate Optimist Podcast. Mm-hmm.